Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, good evening, Mission Church. I am uh, really excited and really just, uh, I'm gonna praise God for two things right now. Number one, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity to share at my home church, so that's really exciting. And number two, I'm gonna praise God for air conditioning, right? We could get, we could get the worship band back up here and do a whole nother round because air conditioning is necessary today. My oldest uh, daughter is playing a softball tournament as we speak in Manteca, which is like 109 degrees. So Lord protect them. But um, we are grateful for air conditioning. I was so glad when I came in this room earlier and it was, it was nice, it was nice. I am, and I have become increasingly convinced that we as a people, our society and our culture are completely obsessed with home remodel shows, right? Right? Are you with me on that? Like, we love these shows. Um, we love them. It's like wherever you go now, they're on. It's not even just home remodel shows. I mean, there's like car remodel shows. There's shows where they're like remodeling people's lives. I mean, there's all kinds of things out there. We love to watch this process of transformation. Um, I mean, I, I don't have cable, so I don't, I don't get HGTV, but uh, this is just a true confession right now. Every time I go on vacation and I stay in like a hotel and the hotel has cable, I always check HGTV. I'm always like, okay, what do we got here, right? Like, cause you can just, it seems like you can flip on HGTV at any time of day now and just choose from your favorite, like, you know, like remodel personalities. I mean, there's just tons of them on there. Um, I actually have a little fun kind of story, my own experience with a remodel show years ago. So some of you, if if you're older, if you're younger, you might not remember this, but if you're older, you might remember a show called Extreme Makeover Home Edition, right? Years ago, yeah. Okay, some people nodding, yep, right? Um, so this show took place like in the early 2000s and it was, it was Extreme Makeover. So their whole thing was they were gonna remodel and usually just like rebuild this house in a week right, a week, and they had this whole team. I know people are laughing, like it does sound crazy and it kind of is because they had this whole team of like former construction professionals. They would go in and they were supposedly gonna do all this work, um, but they had this one episode back in the day. Publicly, they said it was in Oakland. It actually happened in Martinez and it was two houses up from my mom's house. So like my mom calls me and she's like, they're doing it, it's right up the street, all this stuff. And I didn't live at my mom's house at this point, but she, uh, she was like, they're gonna give me two residence passes, you get to have one. I was like, sweet, right? So when they, like during the week that they're filming, uh, I mean, I think it was ABC. ABC is serious. Like they cordon off the community. There's like security guards and barricades, the whole deal. I would drive up, I'd show them my pass. I'd be like, let me in. I get to drive all the way to the top, right? Park in my mom's house. And uh, I actually got to work on the project twice, which was a lot of fun. I'm not on the show. You can Google it. You can look at it on, uh, on, on YouTube now, I think it is. I've watched it a couple times over the years, but uh, I'm not on the show at all. So you just have to take my word for it. But um, it was crazy, right? Because they really do it in a whole week. They really do it. They remodel this thing and, and, it, and it comes out nice. And, and I, I think it's probably a good thing in us. I think there's something in us just loves to watch this process of transformation, right? Like we love to watch something go from run down and beat to beautiful and purposeful and now with intention, right? Like we love that thing and we just, get, we just can't seem to get enough of it. 
But as much as we love to watch transformation TV, sometimes I wonder if we're also aware of the transformation that God wants to do in our lives, right? Because let's be honest, like we watch it on TV, we can turn it on, we can turn it off. But the reality is, is that God has a vision for our lives. And are we, are we aware of that? Are, are we seeking that? Do we understand that? Um, the message of my, uh, excuse me, the title of my message tonight is simply be transformed, be transformed. And we're gonna look in and we're just gonna camp out here tonight. So if you have your Bible with you, we're gonna camp out in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. And I'm gonna read that now. Paul writing to the, to the church in Rome says, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. So grateful for your word, so grateful for this time to be together, so grateful for your love for us, so grateful, Lord, that you, you invite us into a process where we can actually be transformed. God, I pray that blessing now, may we truly hear from you, may we truly hear from your word, may we understand something deeper about the kingdom tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this text, it's crazy because it's, I mean, this is a classic sort of Christian. Like if you've been around church at all, you've probably read this text, you've probably studied this text, uh, but it's crazy because this text is an inch wide, but it's a mile deep. I mean, it's crazy. There's a lot to this, these, these two short verses. And we're not gonna really scratch the bottom of this thing tonight, but what we are gonna do is we're gonna unpack a little bit of what I believe is important for us to understand about the process of transformation that Paul is trying to spell out for us in the New Testament. And so we're gonna talk about three things. We're gonna talk about the invitation to be transformed. We're gonna talk about the reason to be transformed. And we're gonna talk about the results of being transformed. And the invitation starts with this, right? There's, there's these three phrases, these three sentences that are kind of in the heart of this text. And we're gonna look at all three of them. And it starts with this. He says, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Some of this language is really interesting, right? Because offer our bodies. I mean, a lot of times when we think of our faith, we might not think primarily that we would start with an offering of our body. We might expect Paul to say something like offer your heart or offer your soul, but he says offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's interesting because in the world of faith, both Christian faith and just like even other worldly religions, there is a temptation to kind of overlook the physical world. There's a temptation to think that the physical world is irrelevant to our spirituality, irrelevant to our faith, irrelevant to our connection with God. But the reality is, is that scripture teaches over and over again that our physical presence in this world is part of our faith, right? We can't separate it. Sometimes we wanna say, hey, I'll give God my heart and my soul, but I still wanna be able to do whatever I want to do with my body. But the reality is, is that's not a biblical concept. It's not a New Testament concept. It's not, it's not what God ultimately calls us to. And so he starts with this idea of offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And part of it is that there's a contrast in this text. So he says, offer your bodies, but then later on, as we're gonna read, he's gonna say, and you will be, or you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's this contrast, this picture being painted, something happening on the inside of us as we're renewed 
are transformed by the renewing of our mind and then also our physical, sort of our interior and our exterior lives. And the idea here is that we give everything to God. That's the idea, right? What I think Paul is actually trying to communicate is that all of it gets given over to Christ, all of it. You don't keep any part back for yourself. Your body, your physical life, the exterior world, your relationships, your words, your actions, and your interior life, your heart, your thoughts, your dreams, your emotions, all of it gets given over to Christ. And I really do honestly believe that this is important for our understanding of transformation. Because then Paul says, living sacrifices. This is interesting, right? So um, here's, a, here's a fun little thing, right? If you have your Bible, you can just kind of take your thumb and put your thumb over the word living and then reread that sentence and it says something very different, right? Like if you take the word living out, it says offer your bodies as sacrifice. That's a very different religion. That's a very different faith. That's not what Paul is asking us to do, right? But, but he, he, he asks us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, the context of sacrifice, I mean, in our world, we don't really know that much about sacrifice. Like in Paul's world, in the Jewish mind, they had a sacrificial system, right? So there's a system where animals are regularly being sacrificed. So they understood this language, I think a little bit more clearly. We don't necessarily have the same context for it. But in a sacrifice, the implication is that something is being given up. Right? I mean, we can understand that at least. Like something is being given up. And for the, in the Jewish mind, something was losing its life. And, and let's be honest, there have been religions, probably not as many these days, but, but in the history of the world, there have been religions trying to seek out some connection with their creator who would even sacrifice people, as crazy as that is, right? And so this idea of something being given up, it's, it's, it's implicit, if not explicitly understood, that something was losing its life. And this is why I think Paul sneaks this very special word into the, into the text, right? The, the word living is a key point here. The reality is, is there have been some people who, and, and this is just an amazing thing, but there have some people in the history of the church who have given their lives for, for their faith. They have literally been martyred for their faith. But, but this is not what Paul calls us to. This isn't even what God calls us to. The reality is, is that most of us will not die for our faith, but all of us are being asked to live for Jesus. All of us are. If you're in Christ, you're being asked to live for Jesus. And what I really believe Paul is saying in this whole thing is you take all of everything you are, inside and outside, you give everything that you are in your whole life as you live for Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. And again, I think this is important for the idea of transformation because I don't think you get transformation unless you get this idea. I don't think you get to experience being transformed by God's mercies unless you understand the reality that you also have to give him everything so that he can transform it, right? It's, it, it, a lot of times in our lives, we wanna give God just a part of it. Like, God, let me just give you a little bit of this. Like, I'll give you my Sunday mornings, but Lord, I don't wanna give you my Friday nights. Right? Like I'll give you this, but I won't give you that. I'll, I'll, I'll join a small group, but do I have to love my neighbor also? Like we don't want to give God everything. And the reality is, is that I think sometimes the, 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 maybe the amount of transformation that we experience in our lives is somehow proportional to how much of our life we've actually given over to Jesus. And so God starts, or excuse me, Paul starts this by challenging us to give our entire self over to Christ. 
And then at the beginning of verse two, he jumps into the language that really starts to talk more directly about transformation. And he says this, he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Let's do a little, this is gonna be fun. All right, this is gonna be real, I promise, it's gonna be a ton of fun, right here. Who likes change? Raise your hand, we'll do a little survey. Come on, raise your hand, who likes change? Who here just like love, you love to see change, you'll bring change, things get boring, you'll start to change things just because like, you're like, hey, this just needs to change. Like you rearrange the living room or you do something different with your job or whatever it is, but you just love change. That's me, I like change, I seek change and then, you know, us, the people that like change, sometimes it gets us in trouble. Let's just confess that, right? Like sometimes we do dumb things. Now, um, let's, let's represent the other, the other side of this, right? Now, raise your hand if you don't love change, right? Just, just be honest right now, right? Now, I just want you guys to know I'm not gonna beat on you tonight. Like when we're talking about a message of transformation, it might, you might think that I'm about to hammer the people that don't love change. Um, my, my wife, my wife Rochelle, she's the type of person who doesn't necessarily seek out or crave change. And what I've learned um, is that both of these personalities ultimately are, are, are designed by God to help us live in community together. So we celebrate that, right? We celebrate that. And the people who don't love change, um, they're usually the people who are, who are bringing consistency and stability to our lives, like, like while we're spinning out of control a little bit. And, and they're usually the ones that are guarding some of the sacred traditions of our family, our community, our churches and things like that. So, so we recognize that both of these are important. But we are talking about change. We are talking about transformation. There's an old quote from a, from a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus. And some of you are probably familiar with this quote. He says that the only constant is change, right? Some of you have probably heard that, right? Like the only, basically what he says is, as I observe the world, what I see is that the only thing that is really consistently true is that things are always changing. For those of you who don't like change, I'm sorry for that. I just pray God's blessings on you as we process this together tonight. Heraclitus also said something else that uh, is sort of lesser well-known, but he, the same guys, uh, same kind of theme, but he also says that no man steps into the same river twice because it's not the same river and he's not the same man. So in, in that quote, what he's rightly observing, at least, is he's saying, look, I've realized that rivers are constantly changing, which is a pretty interesting thing for him to have observed way back when. And then also he's saying, what I think is, is that people are constantly changing. And I'm just gonna tell you where I stand on this is I think that people do change. I really do. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, I do believe that we change over time. Here's my question though, and, and this is sort of how, I, how I, 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 I explain it, is that the question is, how much are we changing and are we changing for the better? That's the question, right? And Paul starts off verse two with basically a similar type of idea because he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, his idea, Paul's idea is, yeah, you might change as you live in this world. And guess what? You can change for the worst. You can change for the worst. You can look more like this world if you just sit there and let it happen to you, right? As life hits us, as life takes place, as we go through life, right? There are all kinds of disappointments. There are pains. There are things that, 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 that sometimes feel like they're gonna break us. And Paul says, yeah, as you go through this thing, it can make you look more like it. And so do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. 
The, the, the word world in this text, the Greek world actually also means age. And so it's like a period of time, right? Like an age. And of course, Paul, when he wrote these words, it was, it was 2000 years ago. So it was a different age, right? We're in a much different age now. Um, you could say that we're in the technological age or the modern age. I mean, you can put all kinds of different words to it, but we're in a much different age. And, and I think what Paul is saying is no matter what age you find yourself living in, it's, it, it's, it's appropriate or maybe even important for us to look around us as we see how the world is acting. Look around us and start to say, what are the patterns of this world? What are the patterns of this age? And look around. I mean, what do you see? What do we see? We see brokenness. We see hatred. We see division. We see violence, we see selfishness, self-centeredness, right? We see, we see arrogance, we see all kinds of things. And, and the list can go on and on. And any of us could make that list. We just see this long list of things going on in this world. And what Paul's point is, is as you look at the age around you, as you look at the world around you, he's saying the world wants to form you in this image. The world wants to mold you in its own pattern. And so we have to then be wise. We have to then be mindful about what it is that's going on in the world. And, and as believers start to say, okay, I'm not gonna allow myself to be conformed to the pattern of this world. But that's not the whole verse, right? The verse is don't be conformed to the pattern to the, of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's basic point is, is rather than being formed by the world around us, it's time to allow Christ to change us from the inside out. Rather than allowing the world to form us in its image, it's time to let Jesus transform us into his image, right? And so, and so that's now we're getting to the real language of transformation. This word for transformed in this text, it's metamorpho, it's a Greek word. It's clearly where we get a word like metamorphosis. Right? This word's only used four times in the New Testament. Twice when Paul's talking about how we get changed, the other two times are in Matthew and Mark when it talks about Jesus being transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. It literally means to become something that you weren't before. It literally means to become something that you would not have otherwise been. And this is what God is offering us, this metamorpho, this idea that we are going to be transformed into something that we otherwise would not have become. I did this memorial service um, it was a few months ago. Yeah, it was for a guy named Jimmy. And, and Jimmy, he, he was a believer. He loved Jesus. I, I, but Jimmy had also had a, a, a bit of a hard life, some challenges in his life. And because of that, he, he, he kind of was in relationship with a lot of folks that had challenges in his life. And um, uh, we're doing this, the memorial service. And during the time of sharing, this guy gets up to share. And so it's this big guy. I mean, like big barrel chested, tall, right? Like big booming voice, kind of, a, kind of an imposing figure. This guy says his name is Robert. And Robert starts out to say, he says, he says, I was an addict. And he starts to tell his story. And he said that every time Jimmy would see him, Jimmy would look at him and say, listen, God loves you. God can change your life. God can free you from addiction. 
And Robert said that he actually got so tired of hearing about Jesus from Jimmy that when he would see Jimmy's car driving up the road, he would go and like hide, right? Like he would go hide and try to get away from Jimmy. But he said that Jimmy would always catch up to him and Jimmy would always say the same thing. God loves you. God can change your life. God can free you from addiction. And I don't remember how many years he said, it could have been five or it could have been 10, but Robert stood there that day and just gave testimony to the group of people that were there and said that he had been transformed by Jesus. And he had been, he had been now clean for several years. But the, the story, like at that point, like I'm almost in tears as I'm listening to this guy, like just share the gospel to all these people. Like, like I'm the preacher, I thought I was sharing the gospel, but this guy stands up and he's sharing the gospel. And I'm like moved by this. And then he ends his, his, his little time of sharing by saying, oh, and by the way, my wife and I are moving to Indianapolis in like two months because God has called us to plant a church. Becoming something that you otherwise would not have been. Now, the scary part is some of you are like, wait, is God gonna call me to plant a church? I don't know, maybe, I'm not opposed to it, but you know, he's not gonna call all of us, so you don't have to be that scared. But I was just absolutely moved by this story where Robert was telling us about what God had done in him, how God had changed him, how God had freed him, and now how God had called him to something very new. The temptation of a story like that, though, is you know, we look at people who have you know, like sort of major or what we might call like dramatic issues in their life. Like you look at addiction, right? It's easy to look at someone with addiction and say, well, of course they need to have their life transformed, right? Like, of course they need to change. Like they have all these issues, right? All these exterior issues that we can kind of put on a list and just count them out. But the reality is, is that this offer of transformation is for everyone. And it doesn't matter who you are. It makes no difference who you are, right? Like you could, have, you could have been raised in the right family. You could have gone to the right schools. You could have gone to the, you, got, you know, you got the best education. You got the best job. You married the best person. You got the right kids. Your 401k is just loaded. Like you got everything dialed in and your life looks like success. The temptation would be to think that somebody like that isn't also being invited to transformation. But the reality is, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When God looks down on humanity, he doesn't just say, oh yeah, it's those people that need transformation, but these folks over here, they're fine. That's not how God sees it. God sees the reality of our hearts. He sees the reality of our brokenness. He sees the need that we all have for healing and for hope. And he is offering that to everyone. I don't care how cleaned up your life is or how good it looks. The reality is, is that Christ is inviting us to be changed. Christ is inviting us to be changed. Metamorpho, it's a great word. Try to remember it. Martin Luther, who is the, more or less the father of the Protestant Reformation, he says, he says this, no one is so good as they cannot become better. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. I don't care how much stuff Jesus has already cleaned up in you. There is still work to be done. There is still transformation that can take place. There is still stuff that God can do in your heart, in your life, in your family, in your community. God is in the business of transformation. And we will be transformed by what, right? I mean, ultimately it's a lot more than just what Paul says here. We're transformed by the word. We're transformed by the spirit. We're transformed by our engagement in the community of God. We're transformed on the mission of God. But Paul says very specifically in this text that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reality is, is that if you sort of just juxtapose the unrenewed mind and the renewed mind, you'll see very clearly, and we can be objective about this, even though we're all very subjective to it, right? Like it affects all of us because we all struggle with this. But if we sort of take a step back and look at it more objectively, we can see that the, the unrenewed mind, the worldly mind or the fleshly mind is about one thing. It's about, it's about me. It's about myself. It's about selfishness, right? The, the unrenewed mind says it's all about me. The renewed mind says it's all about God and others, right? Loving God, loving neighbor. The unrenewed mind says, hey, it's all about how people see me. Like how, how do people see me? Do they, do they think I'm like good looking or do they think I'm smart or do they think I'm successful? Like, like how does the world see me? And we all, let's all just admit right now, we all struggle with that. That insecurity exists in all of us. But the renewed mind says, I don't really care as much about what, how people see me, I care whether or not people see Jesus in me, right? And then it's a whole different focus. The unrenewed mind says, hey, you know what? I'm really all about self-preservation, right? I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking for security. I'm looking for peace. And we all want that. Every person in this room wants that. I want that. Pastor Tyler wants that. Your grandmother wants that. Everybody wants happiness, security, and peace, right? That's a normal human experience. But the unrenewed mind says, I'm gonna do anything at all costs to get those things. And usually that looks like wealth and power. The renewed mind says, look, I still want those things, but I recognize that they come from Christ. They come from Jesus. They come from God. God is the ultimate provider, the ultimate one who secures those things for me and secures me in those things. And then anything else I have in this world is just a blessing from him. Here's the thing. Here's the question, you can kind of remember this. Here's the question, the ultimate question in this text is this, do I wanna look more like the world or do I wanna look more like Jesus? That's the question. Do I wanna look more like this world? I'll give you the answer, it's no. Or do I wanna look more like Jesus? This is what Paul's inviting us to. And so he invites us to be transformed, but he also provides a reason. And this is my second point, the reason to be transformed. This text start out, starts out with a short phrase. It's this, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. Now, if you've been around Christianity at all, if you've been around the church or the Bible at all, you know that when there's a therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for, right? And this phrase just really embodies that idea. This phrase acts as a hinge between everything that Paul has said in chapters one through 11 and everything that he's now gonna talk about in chapters 12 through 16. And chapters one through 11 are about God's mercies. That's what it's about. I'm just gonna summarize it for you right now. It's about God's mercies. If you haven't read Romans one through 11, hey, maybe that's something to do this week. And I'm serious about this. Go spend some time in chapters one through 11. If you're not doing anything in the word right now, go spend some time in chapters one through 11 and really start to process what is the grace? What is the mercy? What is the salvation of God? Because Paul spends 11 chapters, and let me just tell you, that's plenty, unpacking this thing. Right? And you're gonna read it and you're gonna be like, I'm not really sure what he was talking about. And you're gonna have to start over and go do the whole thing again. But read it until you understand it. Because when Paul starts chapter 12, he says, therefore brothers, in view of God's mercy. 
Now that you understand God's mercy, now that you have received God's grace and God's mercy and God's salvation, now we're gonna talk about this idea of transformation. God's mercy is the reason, it is the why, it is the motivation for us to be transformed. And and it's really important for me to point this out for one very uh, particular and special reason. Because in this conversation about transformation, part of the temptation might to feel like God's just wagging his holy and divine figure at you and saying, you gotta change your life, you gotta get cleaned up, you gotta do all this stuff. But the reality is that it could not be further from the truth. Now, I'm not saying that you might not have sin to confess and repent of, right? Like we're not gonna sugarcoat the gospel here. If there is something that's in your life that you need to deal with, certainly I wanna make sure that you, uh, you do that and consider that. But, but that's not, God's not coming down with condemnation. Paul's not coming down with judgment in this text. What he's saying is, is that the reality of your transformation depends not on your goodness or your badness, but on the mercies of God. That's what's gonna happen here. And that's what you need to understand. See, Paul assumes that you've read chapters one through 11. Paul assumes that you didn't just pick it up in chapter 12 and start going. Paul assumes that you started at the beginning of the text and that you've read it all the way through and that you kind of get an idea of what he's trying to say here. He's assuming that you've read chapter five, verse eight, which says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture because of this, while we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. See, before I knew, before I believed, I really thought, I really honestly thought that I had to get myself cleaned up and then maybe God would love me. I had to fix myself and then maybe God would would, would forgive me or show grace to me. I had to clean up all my bad behavior and all my foolishness and I was a fool, I'm telling you right now. Nobody in this room was a bigger fool than I was before Jesus. And, And I thought I had to fix all that, clean all that up and then God would love me. But the reality of the gospel is this, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God in his mercy, in his divine sovereignty and grace saw that we as a broken people had a problem called sin that we could not solve for ourselves. And he said, I'm gonna send my son. Jesus is gonna die. He's gonna solve the problem. And then you get to receive this gift for free. That is what Paul is talking about in chapters one through 11. Paul assumes then that you've read chapter eight, verse one. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much? Is there a little bit of condemnation? No, there's not. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not even a little bit. You know where there's condemnation? In the world, right? The world says, if you don't do this or if you do do that, we're gonna condemn you, right? And, And condemnation as a social strategy is always meant to take power over another person, right? And so, and so the world loves to condemn. And it's tempting to condemn because you feel powerful when you get the opportunity to condemn. But the reality is, is that the only one in the universe, the only one who has the true authority and the true objectivity to really condemn people is God himself. And he's the one who's saying, guess what? There is now no condemnation in Christ. Guess what? If you wanna be free of condemnation, enter into this relationship where there is literally no, again, not even a little bit, there is literally no condemnation condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Jesus, guess what? You are not condemned. I know there's stuff that sits in the back of our minds and say, and we, and we wonder sometimes like, does God condemn me for that? 
because I feel really bad about it still. I'm telling you right now, you're not condemned. I know maybe somebody did something this week and you feel pretty bad about it, right? I'm telling you right now, you are not condemned. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. And if you're not in Christ, then here's the invitation, right? Like here's the, here's the opportunity. Let's get in Christ and let's receive this grace. Let's receive this promise. Let's receive the hope that God has offered us in Jesus and live a life that is free of condemnation. You see, God's salvation is always gonna be the reason for our transformation. This is the motivation. This is the thing that we have to keep in view. This is what Paul is talking about. And there's this really interesting word in this text. So I'm, I read this from the NIV. And, and in the NIV, it says at the end, it says, that, or at the end of verse one, excuse me, it says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Spiritual. That word in the Greek is actually the word logikos, where we get our word logic. It's very fascinating, right? Because I don't think in our culture, we would generally sort of like connect logic and spirituality. We might even be more tempted to connect like our emotions and our spirituality. But in the Greek mind, and I'm not gonna bore you with this right now, but just so you know, in the Greek mind, there is a reason to connect the matters of the soul and the matters of logic. And what Paul, I truly believe why Paul is putting this here is he's saying, in view of God's mercy. In other words, now that you have seen and tasted and understood the reality of God's grace, the only logical next step, the most reasonable thing you can do is to completely give yourself over to him, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and then receive the transformation that he has promised you. So we've got the invitation to be transformed. We've got the reason to be transformed. And the last thing is we have the results of transformation, the results of being transformed. Paul says at the very end of this text, he says, then you will know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This, this, this little verse right here always threw me for a loop. I would read it and I'd be like, really? Like, then I'll know the whole, because the will of God is like mysterious, right? It's like divine and it's complicated. And sometimes I really wish God would just like lay out a nice plan, like an agenda for me. And then I would like know what it is. But the reality is, is that God doesn't always do that. And so understanding his will can be really complicated at times. And so I would always read this and think like a little bit sarcastically, I'm sorry, but I would just be like, really? Really? Then I'll know, then I'll know. But, but as I've matured and as I've studied this, text, I think I, get a, I got a little glimpse of what it means. You see, it takes faith to offer your whole self to Christ. It takes faith to allow God to transform your life. It does. It takes faith because when we start to think about this thing, we say, really, we're going to give God our whole life and we're going to let him change us into something that we might not have otherwise been. That's a little scary, right? Like, because implicitly we're going to start to ask, well, what if I don't like what God's gonna do with my life, right? Like, what if he's gonna do something with me that I wasn't, you know, what if he's gonna send me to Indianapolis to plant a church or whatever, right? Like, like, I don't know if I wanna do all that. And so it takes a little bit of faith, actually strike that, it probably takes a lot of faith for us to say, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you with this whole thing. I'm gonna trust you with everything that I am. I'm gonna trust you with my life. I'm gonna trust you with my future. I'm gonna trust you with my family. It takes a little bit of faith to offer ourselves and to be transformed because we don't know what he's gonna do with it. We just don't know. And, and, and I would, I would I, and maybe this is just because me and I love change, but I would wanna submit to you that the not knowing is maybe the greatest part because the thing that God can do in you is greater than anything you could ever imagine. That's the thing. 
That's the secret to the whole thing. We hold back parts of ourselves because we don't wanna give it to God because we're afraid he's gonna kind of mess it up, which is really weird when you think about it, right? Because he created the world and the universe and he saved our souls, you know, and he authored the word and he invented wisdom. He did all these things, but then we think, oh, he's gonna mess up our lives somehow. We don't wanna give him all of us, right? But the reality is, is that when he takes it and does something with it, your life, he will do something with it that otherwise would not have been done. And that thing is beautiful. That thing is amazing but you've got to trust him with it. This whole process requires trust. And I truly believe that what Paul is saying is if you're willing to trust, if you're willing to have the faith, if you give your life entirely to Christ and you let him transform you from the inside out, then you will know. Then you'll know. You're not gonna know on the front side. God's not gonna provide you with a PowerPoint laying out all the details, right? Then, and only then, when you have given your life to Jesus, then you will know. Then you will know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Then you'll know that the will of God was to transform you for some particular reason. The will of God was to make you look like Jesus so that when the world sees you, they see Jesus and not you. And you'll know that it's good. You'll know that it's pleasing. You'll know that it's perfect. Those are experiential terms, by the way. You'll know that it's pleasing, perfect, good. You'll see that and you'll see it clearly. But only if we allow Jesus to take our whole lives and only if we let him transform us. Has anybody here ever heard of the Okavango? You know what I'm talking about, the Okavango? A lot of blank stares right now, sorry about that. Okay, the Okavango is this thing in Africa. It's actually, so it's like in the Southern part of Africa in Botswana, which is just North of um, South Africa. There's the, I think it's called the Kalahari. It's a desert, right? And it's just this vast, like sort of desolate wasteland. And in the Kalahari, there's this thing called the Okavango. And the Okavango is a river that flows down into a delta, right? And for those of you who might not be super familiar with what a delta is, a delta is usually what happens at the end of a river where the water just kind of spreads out into a really kind of wide and diverse set of waterways. And, and what's interesting about this particular delta, the Okavango, is that it spreads out into the desert. Most of the, uh, the, the deltas in the world actually spread out and, and then dump into another body of water, a bay or a lake or an ocean or something like that. But this one, and I think this might be the only one in the world, but don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure. This one, I believe, might be the only one in the world that just dumps into dry land. And so why this is interesting is because as a delta, right? Like if you've ever been to the Sacramento Delta, it doesn't dry up. But the Okavango, part of it actually goes completely dry. So there's a Northern part that I, I guess I've, I've not been there yet. It's kind of on a bucket list, but it's up on the top there and, and it, it, it sort of stays wet, right? But the lower part, as the water evaporates and, and, and dissipates into the sand of the desert, it actually dries out. And so what happens is, as part of the year, it is completely desolate, dry, no greenery, no life, no animals. But then what happens is once a year, and I actually think this might be the season right now, but once a year, what happens is, is there's some rainfall that takes place way up in Angola, which is like another country up, and it winds down and it creates these floodwaters that flow through all these river systems and then it ends up in the top part of the Okavango River. And as it comes into the Okavango River in a month, in a month's time, the floodwaters from the Okavango River reflood the southern part of the Okavango Delta. And all of a sudden this place comes to life again. It is completely and totally transformed. 
All of a sudden there's greenery, there's shrubbery, there's plants, the animals come back and all of a sudden the animals start to survive again in this area. It goes from desolation to beauty. It goes from death to life. It goes from dry and dusty to all of a sudden being vibrant and vital with life. And I think this is a great picture of the transformation that God wants to do in us. We can get, we can get spiritually dry. We can get spiritually depressed. We can, get, we can get hopeless. We can get broken by this world. And what Christ is offering is a complete and total transformation. He's offering to take you from desolation to hope. He's offering to take you from death to life. And that's the transformation that Paul continuously talks about throughout the New Testament. And it's the transformation that he's walking us through in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. And so this is my prayer for us, Mission Church. This is my prayer for us as a community. And and when I was preparing this text, I almost felt like maybe I was preaching to the choir a little bit because I know Pastor Tyler preaches preaches this idea of transformation. It's one of the things that I was first attracted to about his leadership and his ministry. So I, I know that we hear this. I believe that we believe this, but it's one of the things that I believe is so central and integral to what it means to walk with Jesus. I'm gonna ask that we bow our heads right now, bow our heads and close our eyes. And, and, and we talked tonight about the gospel. We talked about the mercies of God. And if you're here tonight, if you're here tonight and you have not received the mercy of God, you have not received the grace and the gift of God's salvation, I just wanna allow you to have that opportunity right now. Go ahead and you can look at me and raise your hand to receive Jesus, whether it's for the first time or the 10th time. Amen, amen. I'm gonna pray for us. Father, we are so grateful. So grateful that you don't just save us and leave us in a spot, but God, that you save us and you lead us into a life of transformation. And Lord, you and only you can and will and want to do something in us, God. And we praise you for that. We praise you because we can look more like you and less like this world, because we can look more like the thing that you wanna create in us and less like our own selfishness, God. I pray, Jesus, that you would bless us, your church. I pray that you would bless the churches in this valley. I pray that you would bless the church universal, that we would be transformed by the reality of your mercy and that when the world sees us, God, I pray that they would see Jesus. When the world sees us, God, would they see Jesus? We pray this, Lord, in your name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.